Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson, and if you can't tell by my voice, I am sick. This is the third time this fall I've gotten sick, which is crazy because I don't recall getting sick at any point in time over the past 10 years, so I don't know what's up. Anyways, positivity. Uh, I got some great news for y'all. If you are a Salt Lake or Utah County local, I have a race to put on your calendar. It's called the Lambert 10K, and it's happening on December 31st at 8 a.m. Starting and finishing at the historic Lambert Park in Alpine, Utah, it's a pure single track course designed by my good friend and trail running visionary, Brian Robbins. I'm going to put the registration URL in this week's newsletter because it's a little too complicated to read out, but it costs just a couple dollars. It's like $4.20 and the male and female winner split the pot. Go sign up if you want to get a good speed workout in with some cool people and to support a really cool member of the Salt Lake area running community. Cheers, Brian. Also put it in, um, in a Strava post too, as well as on the newsletter. So we'll put all the stuff there for you. Moving on, in this episode, we talk with Mo Lockert. Mo is a photographer and videographer based here in Salt Lake City. He's worked for trail running brands like Patagonia and Satisfy. And something tells me I am catching him at the very early stages of a notable career in our industry. I was excited to have Mo on because he has operated on the brand side of the athlete company relationship in our sport. And If you've been tuning in each episode, you've probably picked up on the theme of sponsorship lately. It's a topic I'm absolutely fascinated by at the moment. So we leverage Mo's experience and wisdom to go deep there. We also cover the topic of increasing representation in our sport, how to grow the sport, how to be an entrepreneur in our sport, and much more. A lot of our favorite themes are covered with Mo's unique perspective layered on. This one was fun because we recorded in studio. I wish we could do this for every guest. And we go long, about two hours. We also have a bit to drink and we only talk peripherally about running at times, but it was an authentic conversation. There's a lot of life talk in there and almost all of it is ultimately applicable to our sport if you really think about it. I hope you enjoy this one because I really did. Mo just might become a regular. Where do we want to start? We were in Moab earlier this week. And actually, you know what? One thing I want to say is, I was telling Jules this earlier today. If there's one person that I regret not meeting earlier in my tenure in Salt Lake, it's you. Because I feel like uh, you're somebody who I've almost crossed paths with like 18 <laughs> times in the last five years. Yeah. And it somehow didn't happen. We finally had a good uh, campfire chat sesh this past weekend and started to drum up some ideas for this episode. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing this. And I'm guessing this is the start of a good long friendship too. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been aware of who you are for a while. I mean, through Jimmy mostly. Jimmy um, Elam, shout out Jimmy Elam. Shout out Jimmy Elam, the uh, the Wasatch Trailmaster. Um, but I, I remember uh, you being out um, doing little Instagram updates during Logan's... Uh, Tahoe Rim Trail uh, attempt, uh, FKT attempt. And uh, I remember being like, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> very professional, like running on the trail, like, today, okay, 
Logan is at mile 60 and uh, his hydration is very good. Um, he seems to be uh, seems to be chatty. Uh, he seems to be in good spirits. And I'm just like, wow, this dude's like actually running this thing because I, uh, despite shooting uh, uh, ultras and ultra athletes and cyclists and people who are super fit, uh, I think that's a misconception is that people assume that I'm also out there running the Colorado Trail and Cocodona and all these other races. And I do not have the ability to do that. So uh, to see you out there, that was pretty cool. Well, man, I appreciate that. But yeah, we just had Logan on the pod. He's a great guy. And those were fun times on the Tahoe Trail. But yeah, I think you sell yourself short because you are somebody that is working very closely on the brand side, pushing the sport forward in a way that makes it more palatable, more interesting, more inspirational to people that aren't just already in the sport, but that could become runners at some point in time. For anybody that isn't from Salt Lake that listens to this show, could you t- talk a bit about your background in the sport and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. I don't know how much time we have to talk, but I'll try to pare it down. Basically, I'm a full-time freelancer. I've worked in a bunch of different industries. Um, I kind of fell ass forward into uh, this uh, very peculiar scene, um, suffer fests and ultras and you know distance running and uh, endurance sports. <clears throat> um, I think... Uh, I had shot a few things here and there, f- small things, nothing of, of you know significance or or, or note. But um, I had shot uh, a few one-offs for some companies and kind of was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Another yeah. you know way to you know sustain myself uh, when when other gigs are uh, you know on, on kind of the uh, winding down and whatnot. Um, but uh, actually, Logan, who you had on the podcast uh, last time, <clears throat> he actually kind of snowballed this whole uh, opportunity in, in this industry because I hadn't really been shooting consistently uh, for endurance brands or yeah. running brands or anything like that. And I remember getting a phone call from him as I'm in an Uber from the airport coming off of like a 10 day shoot. I'm all haggard and tired uh, from, you know, camping and roughing it and, and, you know, and then doing photos and, and all this other stuff. And he calls me, you know, as I'm coming back from the airport and he's like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to attempt uh, an FKT on White Rim in Canyonlands uh, if you want to come down. And I don't know if I've actually ever told him this, but at the time I was like in my head, I'm like, no way, man. I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so like, I want to just be back and comfortable in my bed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but you know, Logan's a good friend of mine. So I told him, Hey, like, let me get back to you tomorrow or something. Let me sleep on it basically. And as I was just recuperating from the shoot I'd been on, I had in my head, uh, this thought of, I know exactly what my life is going to be like if I don't do this. I know I'm going to wake up, go through my morning routine, get some coffee, hang out, you know, catch up on some movies I haven't seen, um, you know, catch up with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. I know exactly what my day to day is going to be like. Yeah. Um, If I go on this white rim adventure with him, that could who knows what can happen. And I had this, uh, what do you call them? Uh, like a mantra of, um, if you're going to do something, 
make sure you give it the best possible chance to succeed. Mm. And so I knew that if I did this with him, I wasn't going to half-ass it. I was going to go all in. And so then it became a, a internal dialogue of, uh, do I have the energy or the want to go all in on this? Or is this something where my presence there would be a hindrance and I, and I should pass on yeah. it? Um, and then Logan being who he is, he's a great connector. Uh, very charismatic. He, yeah, very charismatic. Uh, you know, that's why he's a successful lawyer. Uh, but he was like, man, well, we can reach out to brands. I know some companies, maybe they could pay your way down there or yeah. you could just road trip with us. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't about money and it wasn't about, you know, is he a good enough friend for me to want to help out or not? It was just a purely a matter of, I am so tired. Um, but as we kind of continue this conversation, which, which is happening over the course of like one and a half days, yeah. because I got back on maybe a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday and he was leaving, I think like on a Friday to attempt it on a Saturday. So we didn't have a whole lot of time. And uh, so, so finally, all that to say, he, he texts me and says, hey, there's this cool brand you should check out called Satisfy Running. I've been following them for a while. They're kind of like a music culture running brand. They're not really interested in, you know, metrics and how many followers you have. And, yeah. and you know, they, they care about the art and the experience of running. Mm. And he, he had mentioned like, oh, maybe we reach out to them and, you know, and something can happen. And so I said, okay, let me reach out. And I go on their website. And all they have is an info at satisfyrunning.com email. And if you are a freelancer of any kind or you work in marketing or whatever, you know that if you don't have a name attached to that email, there is maybe a 1% chance that you will ever get a response ever. Those are usually unmonitored, uh, unmonitored emails. Uh, and, and who knows how long those emails sit for. Um, but... Going back to the mantra, uh, I will give it the best possible chance to succeed. I yeah. will pursue every lead. I email them and, you know, I tell Logan, okay, yeah, yeah, like I email them. I don't know if anything's going to happen or not. Um, the next morning I get a, a response from Adam Voidoid, uh, who is uh, basically their, their brand and creative manager. Content, yeah. yeah, he's their senior, you got, he's uh, their senior editor uh, now. And he reached out, Hey man, this sounds sick. You know, we can overnight some gear to Logan. Um, you know, basically shoot some photos, send, send them our way. And, and I was pretty shocked because that never happens. Um, but then that kind of solidified me going down to photograph and support and crew Logan. Um, and, and in my head, it was sort of like a, you know, now that I'm reflecting back on it, it was sort of a, oh, it's not on me if they don't get back to me and then I can't go. Yeah. Uh, and this was, I think, kind of the universe kicking me in the ass, kind of saying, hey, man, like, what's what's another weekend of no sleep? Like, you know, <laughs> like, this is fun. It's, it's for your buddy. Like, go help him out yeah. because he, you know, he for sure would would help you out you know and that was kind of a a, a good recentering for uh for my mentality you know to kind of have that all transpire so quickly and so like 
just was not expecting it. And so uh, went down there, shot it, sent them the photos. They liked it. And then now they're one of my recurring clients. So it's just kind of a ridiculous reminder that you can find yourself in in these crazy experiences, uh, oftentimes not under our own will, but kind of through the encouragement of others. And so it's kind of very crazy how, uh, you know, yes, I put a lot of time in. Uh, yes, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, things that go through my mind pre-production, during a shoot, post-production, all of that. But I mean, to assume all the credit would just be would just be illogical and ridiculous because all a lot of these opportunities that come up uh, aren't from my own like oh this is exactly how it's going to plan out and this uh, you know and this is exactly how I'm going to execute going to execute so <clears throat> to anybody that's in your position it, you know maybe they're starting a couple years back you're basically saying say yes to as many things as possible early on because that's how serendipity happens and things can unfold in ways you wouldn't imagine and opportunities are created. Is that the takeaway there? Well, and, and that's how uh, you allow for those opportunities to happen. I wouldn't necessarily say like you can't be sitting on your ass and then something serendipitous, you know, can't happen. Yeah. But and, and there's also something to be said about maintaining a balance um, because I have been to the brink to the point where I turn down gigs or, or someone asked me to do something, a shoot of some sort. And I know absolutely that I cannot perform to the standard uh, that I would want to. And, and so, and so you have to know that about yourself, much like an athlete has to know, you know, okay, is this run going to uh, result in an injury or, you know, I mean, Logan, another great example, yeah. you know, had to dial stuff back because, uh, and he's like the worst at that, you right. know, cause he's such a hard charger. Right. Um, but you have to know that balance about yourself. And for me, uh, I, I get into these cycles of extreme motivation and then extreme recovery Yeah, where I come back and I'm like, oh, I've earned this ability to like rest uh, when I still might have something in the tank. And I know, you know, destiny, fate, the universe, whatever you want to call it, yeah. has a way of sort of reminding you, like, are you doing this because you are really, truly empty or are you just being a lazy ass? <laughs> I think in this instance, I was just being a lazy ass and, and I'm, I couldn't be more grateful or, or, or you know, um, stoked that it, it worked out with Logan and with Satisfy. Well, this is an excellent launching point. I want to make one comment before I ask you a question. And I feel like we're in this really fascinating era where, to your point about the info at Satisfy running email account, we can still reach like some of the most important people in our lives through just a cold email. Mm -hmm. You can reach the CEO of a company. You can reach an athlete. I mean, almost everybody that ever, ever appeared on this podcast has come from a cold email. And it's just amazing that we live in that era where you can create opportunity through that. So yeah. maybe that's a little bit off subject and off the running angle, but anyone out there that wants to create their own luck in 2021, you can still cold email people that are going to create a ton of opportunity on your behalf. I, and there's some people that I know that, I mean, it's a personal touch, you know? Yeah. Um, Hey, here's my Instagram. That uh, that means nothing. And, and what's in it for them? Yeah. You know, we can we can dive into that. You know, with work I've done in the past and whatnot. But I mean, it really it really is. Uh, you know, the majority of the creative uh, the creativity 
um, that I feel like I do is yeah. how to get in contact with people. Uh, it's not, it's not necessarily the shoot parameters. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I, I have, <laughs> I have done work for clients where they didn't have a lot of money. They're a small brand, yeah. uh, every excuse or, or just every instance, uh, uh, imaginable. And I have, I have told them, Hey, if you cannot, you know, uh, move at all on this rate, you know, and, and I really, uh, you know, enjoy them as a brand or, or what they're doing or, or something like that. I have, I have asked for, um, I've asked for contacts. I have said, Hey, how about this? And an introduction to so-and-so at such and such a brand, because most of the people in positions of management, uh, marketing, uh, creative, like it's their job to know people. Yeah. And half the time, they have worked at a different brand. The The outdoor industry in particular is, uh, I, I forget who told me this. Uh, they said the outdoor industry is particularly incestuous <laughs> because when, you know, a creative director leaves one position at running brand X, yeah. they'll get hired by running brand Y. Yeah. And, and then running brand Z, someone will leave there to go to running brand X. And so eventually... You know, once you're at a position of you're talking about creative directors, marketing managers, they have been around the block. It's a circle of life. A circle of life. That's right. And so, you know, I, I've gotten as creative as 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 bargaining and negotiating for for information. Yeah. And I think that is one of the uh, few things that uh, I mean, I guess they don't really teach you that in in college or. <laughs> Or anything like that. So, but I, I promised your listeners we'll, we'll talk about running. We'll talk about the oh, interesting yeah. stuff. But um, well, I want to reserve a whole section of this conversation to building a business in the outdoor industry and some of the strategies that you can deploy early on. Because I think that your example is a brilliant case study. Before we do that, one of my favorite launching points in any conversation is to ask this question: and It <laughs> is, what is exciting you most about the sport of trail and ultra running right now? Oh man, that's a good question. So I, a little bit of background. So I, I ran in middle school, high school, and a little bit in college. Um, when I first moved here, I was like in trail heaven. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about this whole thing is that I was a sprinter. So the longest distance that I had uh, run previously you know, 800 meters. And, and even at that was a lot. I, I was a hundred, 200 sprinter, uh, relays and some field events. Yeah. And, um, so the, the, the idea of, of, uh, you know, I feel like I have to justify myself almost because I feel like your average listener is putting down, you know, 40, 50 mile weeks. And I'm like over here, like, Oh, I, I ride my bike more than I run, <laughs> but but from a, from a uh, an aesthetic perspective, from a photography perspective, oh, yeah, let's go there. Um, the things that are exciting me the most are, uh, and and it's it, we're still I feel like at the very beginning, and and I am not the end all be all source of this information. Um, there's uh, you know others out there way smarter, more experienced, yeah. etc. I feel like every artist has to preface interviews with that, but it is the power that athletes are starting to slowly uh, receive and get recognized for. Um, and what I mean by that is there used to be a time, again, we're, I'm speaking like I'm a 50-year-old man, you know, reminiscing. You're an old soul. But, but uh, where basically 
the contract you got was a contract you got. Your value was either directly related to your performance or uh, your your ad appeal. Yeah. And I think that's kind of just the more PC way of saying sex appeal. Sure. Um, now it is more about th- there's there's such a big opportunity uh, and interest in the other aspects of the athletic uh, um, you know personnel. Mm. Um, people want to know you know not only what you're eating, what shoes you're wearing, you know uh, what your day to day looks like, but how's your mental health. They want to know about your goals and aspirations. Yeah. Um, they want to see behind the scenes. They want to yeah. know what it's like to truly get yeah. into the mind of, uh, of in, in most cases, an elite athlete. And because of social media and because of uh, this explosion of narrative-driven uh, marketing, yeah. we now have platforms that are uh, providing uh, this microscopic look. Yep. And... To me, it is way more interesting when you have an investment on a, like an emotional level with an individual than purely on a transactional basis, meaning, oh, you didn't podium in whatever, Dead Horse, yeah. which just happened, yeah. or you didn't podium at uh, you know, Black Canyon or something right. like that, so you don't get money or this or that. It, it, it's, it's a more uh, uh, complete look at... at these athletes and it's, and it's very humanizing. Yep. Um, the, the term parasocial relationships uh, exactly. come to mind. Uh, and I, maybe people out there with their phones and, you know, whatever they can diction, you know, look it up in the dictionary. But as far as I understand, parasocial relationships are basically um, what occurs with an audience and a celebrity. Okay. So um, let, let Killian Jornet. Yeah. Wikipedia, uh, uh, race results, interviews. We know so much about Killian mm. as a person, as an athlete. Yeah. He knows almost nothing about me. Right. So he's almost like staring into the abyss of his fans. So there is like this uh, uneven scale of, you know, he know, we know so much about him. He knows literally nothing about us. And it's, it's like the, you know, it's like the, you put someone on, uh, on a pedestal, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but now there's these platforms where athletes can engage with, uh, with their fans, or, or in this case, you know, you see um, famous ultra runners, and there's there's a tighter community around them than perhaps could have been cultivated before. They're better integrated with the rest of the community. Right. So that's stuff that I'm really excited about, um, for one, because it's just more interesting. It's We were talking about, before, you know, in, your, uh, in the in the lobby, in the green room before yeah, yeah. Uh, here, we were talking Which about... Which is our kitchen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were talking about um, the homogenization of, of brands. Yes. And how, I mean, as much as you like... The people who work at certain brands or or the brands in general, uh, I mean, how many mountaintop photos, someone running, overstriding, uh, you know, a distance runner theoretically would have had to have run 20 miles, you know, to get to that certain point. And they are, you know, knees parallel with the waist, arms at 90 degrees, knife hands, you know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to me. And this want for more depth is far more interesting aesthetically to me as a, as a photographer, yeah. uh, you know, than, than, you know, uh, 
what was it called? The in the NFL have fat heads, the yeah. stickers. Yep. You know, it's far more interesting to me than like a, a super binary approach to uh super elite runner, get a photo of them running in a beautiful landscape that I'll never be able to go to. Um that's it. You know, I I, I want to see them with like, you know, blood on, on their ankles from where they're like, you know, catching you know, rocks and stuff. And, and I want to see, I want to see the struggle. I want to see, I want to see something. I want to see anything other than smiling, you know, overstriding runners. And, uh, and one of my favorite photographers of all time, Peter Lindbergh has a great quote. Um, I don't have it memorized by heart, but, but it basically, uh, he talks about, uh, how melancholy is far more interesting than smiling, you know, when you see somebody smiling, they're basically telling you how to feel. I'm smiling, so the emotion I'm portraying is happiness. Yeah. So the audience should be happy. Uh, when it's taken from a more nuanced approach, melancholy can be so many different things at the same time, yeah. and it's very layered and complex. And I kind of equate that to, you know, maybe. Uh, a photo series of, uh, of, you know, any, any athlete that is, you know, going through a difficult time or is shows like the mundane or the tedious side of training and training and training. I think it gives us a more humanized view of what it actually is like to a perform at an elite level yeah. uh, and B still try to make it through you know, daily life as everyone else does. Well, let me ask you a question because you've worked really closely with a lot of major brand marketing teams in our sport. Do you think that a lot of these brands already understand that the version of marketing that you're pitching here is the way to go? Or are they still caught in the past where it was like, we need to present athletes like we do billboards and they need to very blatantly shill our products as opposed to, as you've described, sort of working with the garage door open, being very transparent about the rest of their life as they're in this career and training for events. Like, yeah, in your opinion, are they starting to encourage athletes to present that version of themselves on social media or are they still stuck in the past? Um, that's a great question, um, especially because the answer is yes to all. There are oh. some brands who really get it and there's other brands uh, who who maybe don't get it as much, but, but the, the important thing to note here is that, um, the, the approach needs to be a combination. It, you know, you need, you definitely need those hero shots. Mm. Um, and some brands do only that. And it's just like, if you watched a movie with only, uh, you know, twists, yeah. it would get really boring. You need that buildup. You need the nuance, you need the subtlety, and then you need the payoff. Yeah. And so, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with brands uh, that that understand um, the importance, but then logistically, it's kind of ironic because the bigger the company that I that I've worked with, the harder it is to mobilize on on these things that seem to make sense, you know, to to you and me. Yeah. Um, because as with any corporation, there is the money behind it, right? And a lot of times, the money doesn't see eye to eye with the communication or the marketing. And so I wouldn't even say necessarily that brands don't get it. I, I definitely see it more as a uh, we're slowly trying to build bridges between these two facets of company and business. And, and oftentimes the bridges are like just offset of each other. Yeah. Um, 
But, I, you know, I because I feel like if you were to sit down with any CEO of any company and you ex- express these things, they would say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then you would say, okay, great, let's do it. And they say, no, because we know for a fact that this certain thing equates to this ROI, which is, you know, it's, it's all these acronyms. Yep. Um, but the thing is, what we're talking about is the intangible. We're talking about uh, the, the, the things that can happen serendipitously. We're talking yeah. about these, uh, when you talk about organic, yeah. basically as soon as you try to plan something out, it does not, it's not organic, <laughs> you know? Um, that, that's why half the time when I am on shoots, uh, if I have any say in it, I, I, I basically, the, the only demands that I have are uh, start time, you know, because of light and all right. that, um, and then generic activity. There are some companies that like to, okay, minute to minute, hour to hour, how, what's yeah. going on? It's like you you basically planned out any of that, of that or, organic interaction to happen. Um, well, and, and I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed earlier today, and there's an athlete that I know and love that I follow and in their feed, or sorry, in their profile is this hero shot and then very blatant marketing copy that has absolutely no personalization in it. And my first reaction was kind of disgust. I'm just like, that's not the athlete I Sell know. Out. Do people really like this? And then I look at the likes, 50% of that athlete's following liked the post. And so then I thought to myself, wow, Maybe I'm the one that's out of touch, and there's still this form of like blatant selling, and blatant marketing copy and hero <laughs> shots. People still like that. Am I too far in the future right now? Well, the, I think the thing with that too is that we're all on the same team. Uh, I'm not going to dislike something because my friend is making their living that way. Right. You know, if if you knew this athlete personally, uh, I would be stoked for him. It's the hustle. My my main issue is with the corporations that are demanding ridiculous things from their athletes. I would say let the athletes be the athletes because not only are they training basically 24-7, yeah. uh, but now companies are asking them to now be professional photographers and blog makers and cinematographers. Uh, let the athletes be the athletes. Um, and the thing is, a lot of the contracts that are made nowadays – um, include some sort of, well, you have to post this many things or, or, you know, do this many interviews or do this many whatevers. People go to school for four plus years to learn how to do those things. Yeah. Um, and, and being an athlete is, I mean, you talk to Jimmy Elon, that dude is, he's like, oh yeah, it's my off week. I'm still running 2000 miles. Like in an off week, dude, like it's ridiculous. And so, again, whenever I see a post and it's just egregious, it's self-indulgent, yeah. it's hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored everywhere. Yeah. I don't get mad at the, the athlete. They're trying to pay their dues. You know, yeah. they're, they're trying to pay their bills. I get frustrated more or less with the companies that are demanding such ridiculous uh uh, untethered things from their athletes who are already, I mean, some, some of these athletes are now parents and have right. other full-time jobs. And on top of that, they want them to, you know, photograph, shoot video, do blogs, do vlogs, do interviews. Mm. Uh, and then for what, like, a, a, like 10 pairs of shoes. Right. It, and, and I, I'm speaking kind of, um, passionately about it. Um, Mostly because I work in 
advertising and marketing. And I, and I see how some brands treat some athletes and I see this relationship as being very parasocial. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. So-and-so brand sponsored me. I have to give them my soul. I don't think that's the case. I think it is a, uh, a lack of understanding, uh, of, of like, and empathy for treating people like people. Um, and I think that's kind of an aggressive take, but I feel like we're, we're kind of far and beyond that time where a brand was so big that I would do anything to work for them. Um, basically my mantra now, uh, is like, I just want to work with people that I enjoy. And most of the time, uh, the companies that understand that and, and give creative freedoms to the artists that they're hiring that give creative freedoms uh, to their uh, at sponsored athletes tend to see better results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing here, uh, shout out to Jimmy Elam because he's one of those rare athletes who, in addition to being one of the best runners in the sport, <laughs> I'm always pouring another drink here. In addition to being one of the best athletes in the sport, he's also a great thinker and a writer. And he's somebody that I've always encouraged to, to keep on putting out his message on social because he's good. But I think you raised a great point. And that is Jimmy's an exception. And the vast majority of athletes in the sport have one job. And that's to put out great performances and to focus on their training and to be an inspiration that way. And, and given that, I guess I'm just surprised that the marketing teams behind these athletes are willing to basically just write it in with this very, I'll say half-assed marketing copy with the hero shot, as opposed to maybe hiring a ghostwriter that basically lives and breathes that athlete's life day in and day out and can step in and write really personalized copy for them. Like right. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. Well, and, and I, I mean, I speak idealistically um, yeah. because, you know, for a lot of brands, it's not feasible. A lot of brands don't have the budget, but knowing how much certain companies spend on ad buys and you're telling me like $200,000 of that couldn't go towards, you know, developing athletes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I am so appreciative, uh, of satisfy running is that they understand that the, the more, either the more creative freedom or the, 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 uh, the more uh, I am able to be creative on other shoots or with other individuals, the better off I'm going to be serving them. Um, and so uh, this idea that, you know, once you're bought, that, sh- that shouldn't be like the end. That should mm. be like the beginning. You know, people should understand, athletes in particular should understand their worth Um and, and I feel like I'm being really harsh on brands, but that's because brands are a conglomerate of money and people and athletes like feel like they're disposable. Once, once a particular athlete is past their competitive years, like that is it. That is that they're like, maybe they can find some athletic based revenue somewhere else, but like a brand will continue on. A brand will be fine with or without you. The athlete, like you must take care of your mind and your body, yeah. your well-being. And oftentimes uh, I see athletes killing themselves for these brands. And then once they're past their, you know, use by date, they're just replaced with somebody else. And I don't necessarily think that that is the best way to go about it uh, because it's not empathetic to the athlete. It is not uh, supportive of the athlete to then be the best iteration of themselves that they yeah. can be. Uh, and I think that's maybe where 
And again, I'm speaking from, I don't have brand sponsorships as far as being an athlete. Don't. I don't work with brand, uh, with brand manager, like brand sponsor, you know, athlete directors. Yeah. So I don't know the kind of squeeze that they're under, but it seems a little off. Well, I really like this ideal that you're pitching because it actually, in my opinion, increases the longevity of an athlete's shelf life because in, in your scenario, they're putting out content that resonates regardless of whether they're still in a high performance stage of their career. Mm-hmm. Like an athlete that comes to mind is a ritual. If you're putting out the kind of content as an athlete that ritual does, even when you stop winning races, you're still incredibly relevant in the community and you have a place and you don't have to like scramble for a whole brand new career and to retrain yourself and all that kind of stuff. Can, if, yeah. if, if, if the brands are truly concerned about the well-being of the community, yeah, they would be doing more. And I think that kind of ties into a lot of um, the people that I choose to shoot with and work with. Yeah. Especially, maybe this is a good segue, is in, in today's day and age with um, uh, BIPOC athlete representation. Yes. Um, the biggest thing that I have been a proponent of is, is follow up. I am not going to reach out to my, uh, you know, so I'm a Korean American, um, uh, you know, photographer, and I'm not going to reach out to my other Asian friends, my other, uh, black friends, my other, you know, Mexican friends and say, Hey, this brand wants to pay you below average rate for talent. Uh, to market their new bike because they have a box to check. Uh, that's that's never going to happen. Is it that blatant? Uh, not that bold, but the the way certain companies, hey, we need a we need a, an Asian athlete, and then you can kind of infer why. Uh, and so I, I have had conversations like that before. Uh, hey, we just need a woman. It's like no, you don't just need a woman. You need to check a box. And unless you're going to prove to me that you have some sort of follow through, I'm not going to do it uh, because that has no bearing on the well-being of the community. If you truly were uh, more concerned about that, you would be uh, way, way more like forthright about your objectives and your goals. Uh, and nobody's perfect. And, and I do appreciate that brands are learning and representation is important, yeah. period. Uh, but I have been encouraging the companies that I work with that, Hey, if we are going to do this, what is your plan for this individual? Are you going to do more shoots with them? Are you going to, you know, donate to a cause that they're very vocal on in in their Instagram or, or in their, you know, in their day to day, like, what is the follow-up? What is the follow through? And that's kind of been the biggest crossroads that I've gotten to, because as soon as I bring that up, it's a lot of crickets. Um, but some companies are like, Hey, we never thought about that. We are more than happy to, you know, do this and talk to them and work with it. And and then it's like there there's like common ground. And so um, that's been kind of a big push that I've been trying to have in the outdoor scene uh, as far as cycling and running, which are, you know, inherently uh, white sports. Um, And so it's been something that I really initially it's kind of like oh i'm a photographer i got to be friends with everybody but there's a certain point where you know 
I, that's just a non-negotiable for me. This is a topic that I think we should allocate a fair amount of time to here. You just mentioned it. Trail and ultra running is a heavily white sport. More specifically, it's a heavily white upper middle class sport. More specifically, white upper middle class male sport. In your experience, what are some steps we can take to increase representation? Because when I talk with people in our sport on a one-on-one basis, everyone's for increasing representation, but we're nowhere close to that. I have seen some stats that we're getting closer to 50-50 when it comes to male-female participation, but we still have a ton of work to do. So yeah, in your experience, what are some really actionable things we can do? Right. So from, I'm going to pour some scotch for this. Oh yeah. This is intense. So I've had a few great conversations with my friend, Cody Cameron. Um, okay. uh, he is an incredible guy. His whole being is just, it's, it's like, I can't even describe it. The word for that is indescribable okay. for all you listeners out there. Um, he is like traveling the country basically uh, to promote diversity in sport. Um, he he's uh, he does uh, like community development, diversity, inclusivity at the front. Yeah, and he is constantly the front ha- is our local climbing gym. Yeah, right, yep, and he's like right. constantly having these conversations with people. Um, you know, because it's like it's like if you're a brand. Well, diversity is important. Okay, so we got the diversity model, but now you're mad at us. Why are you mad? Like we we have that. It, it's inherently an issue with the amount of voice that these communities have historically had, which is none. Yeah, and it is not just about normalizing, you know, black and brown faces in these industries, uh, but it's almost to the point where that's not the point. If you are focusing so much on, you know, this Asian guy, this is, he's the face of our brand. You're missing the point. Uh, You're like one out of three, you know, the, the other two is like constant inclusivity follow-up. And then the other one is if, if, if we are to truly be included in this scene, it won't, it won't be conversations of our, uh, skin tone anymore. It will be a, it will be a, a, a normalization, you know, and that's kind of the paradox that I think a lot of brands see is like, well, we have these diverse models and now companies are getting, or now people are getting mad at us. Yeah. Um, what are you doing to further the conversation other than you have a, uh, black or brown person in your picture? And what what do you expect there? Like, what, honestly, what can a company expect from that when that's not been their core initiative from their inception to then all of a sudden have all of these minority uh, groups in all these pictures? Um, it's seen more as a trend. Like you're just trying to be trendy than you are actually trying to be supportive of these individuals and these communities. And so... The things that I see, so there's this cycling company called Vast that I work with. They make yeah. gravel bikes. They're are they one, new? Are they old? How they're a relatively new company. Yeah. Um, 
They are a one percent for the planet company. They make their frames out of magnesium alloy, which is magnesium is a, a super abundant resource. Great sleep aid. A great sleep aid, and it's not nearly as uh, 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 pollutant um, than like carbon layup yeah. bikes are. And from the get go, at least when they were talking to me, their whole idea of inclusivity was way more. Uh, had way more depth to it than just, hey, man, we want to get some not white people in some pictures. And they worked with, uh, I recommended a few of my friends. And before I agreed to anything, I said, what is your plan for like working with these people? And they said, we're trying to figure that out as a company. Do you suggest anything? And some of, some of my friends who I was working with, I asked them too, because I don't know everything. And they were like, hey, well, if they could make like, I don't want to get paid. Like if they could make that, just take that payment, and make a donation to this nonprofit that, I, you know, that I've been supporting for years, like have them do that. Or like, let's organize um, like some bike rides where they send out a bunch of free bikes to like an underserved community. And then a couple of those talent can uh, and, and not even to photograph it, but just to yeah. do it. And they were all about it. And they were like, these are things that we need to know about because we obviously don't know about it. Yeah. Um, and so the same thing is, can be said in the, in the running industry. Um, it, it's, it's no longer, um, in my opinion, acceptable to just do good enough, you know? Oh, well, Hey, we put on an event, but like no minority groups came, you know, that's, that's like, you know, setting up a lemonade stand in a gated community. Right. How can you expect people to like <laughs> know about it or or to have access to it? Right. And I think that's one of the bigger things because at a certain point, like my knowledge is tapped. Yeah. Um, but foundationally speaking, unless you are truly tr- and it'll feel like you're going out of your way because historically you haven't had to go out of your way to do these things. So it is going to feel a, like grindy but like you have like these are the things that i feel like bigger corporations have a responsibility to do um in particular because if they if they want to take credit for being super inclusive or, or turning a new leaf and being inclusive then they also have to take responsibility for not being inclusive for however many decades they've been in existence and I think that is something that not many that maybe I'll lose some points with some, you know, companies or brand managers or whatever. But if, if you want to assume uh, credit, you know, yeah. for for all these cool things you're doing, uh, you have to uh, assume the responsibility for the years before you started doing those things. That's that's a great point. Yeah. And maybe the business person in me is curious to see companies that are built post when we're recording this 2021 and how core that is to their mission as a business moving forward. The other point I want to make, or this, and this is just my perspective, and if I misspeak, I apologize and I'm totally willing to be corrected, but I think about where our sport takes place and it's in predominantly very white areas. Of Salt Lake like City. Salt Lake City, <laughs> so white, Flagstaff, Boulder, Bozeman, um, like the demographics of the places where the sport takes place is already so white. And then this transcends race and ethnicity, but the sport is actually pretty expensive too. Like race fees, I just looked at a race, uh, the Coca Dona 250, which is down in Arizona. We can talk about that, I was satisfied running. That race costs 1400 bucks to get into. And that's not even counting 
you know, travel fees and getting all your nutrition in order and probably paying for your crew. If you have a crew, you definitely need a crew paying for their accommodations and whatnot. So it actually is a sneaky, expensive sport too. So in addition to so far having done a pretty poor job at increasing representation, it's also not a sport for the middle class of America or the lower middle class of America. And yeah, basically, uh, if you cross the finish line and you're proud, you're really just kind of slapping hands with people from a very, 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 very small subset of America. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's 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 kind of, um, it's been kind of jarring. Uh, so so I was adopted when I was a baby. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a, in a white home and I was always encouraged to try everything. Yeah. And I got to a point where... Uh, Running is such a pure thing. They say all you need is a pair of shoes. And I, I still do believe that. But there is still a point, whether it's money or racism, <laughs> that you as a minority realize that this is not a sport where people are accustomed to seeing you in. And for me, uh, I, you know, there has been instances where I have been out, you know, photographing or or running or or whatnot, and and it's just like the looks that you're getting. Um, I think minorities, you know, my friends that I'm, you know, speaking of in particular, we have a responsibility um, to take take back, you know, take ownership of the space. Like we deserve to be there. Um, I did a shoot for Strava, and I met a woman named Chardeline Chanel, and she had this beautiful. Uh, uh, this beautiful mentality of I de- I, I deserve to be here, and this idea that if if anybody is thinking about pursuing ultras or long distance cycling, swimming, whatever, uh, keep the mentality of you deserve to be there because, insofar as I understand it, the reason why people love ultras, the people why <laughs> the people why the reason why people love endurance athletics is is mostly intrinsic so who cares what other people are thinking you know when when uh when they see you doing your thing that that's that's something that they have to worry and and battle with you know because day-to-day is already a big enough battle for you know for people like me so it's like this really poignant idea that even though this space should be just open to everybody um it's not and the the idea that I deserve to be here, I deserve to be doing this thing. I have you know this uh, this right to experiencing my body in motion in this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we got a cheers here. You know that yeah, that is something that I feel like uh, you know myself and other athletes like myself uh, have a responsibility to. Uh, to keep that positive mentality. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That was the church that I needed right there. Amen. But anyways, enough of the hard stuff. You want to talk about running? <laughs> Finally, I feel like your 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 listeners are like, dude. I feel. Is I feel this like, guy not a runner? <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of people that listen to the show are probably at like mile thirteen of a long run up like Mill Creek or something like that in the Wasatch. Actually, no. I looked at our podcast stats the other day. Only twenty percent of the listeners are from Salt Lake. So I don't know Whoa. how people are finding this, but I thought this was like a majority Salt Lake show. It's not. Holy cow. That's crazy. They're from like 
Kansas City, Kansas. It's crazy. Anyways, people just find stuff in the weirdest ways. I do want to get to, I want to make sure we cover this because I've been dying to have this conversation mm-hmm. with you. And how do we grow the sport of mountain ultra trail running? Because this is something I'm fanatical about. As I'm on my deathbed, maybe it's 10 years from now, 40 years from now, maybe I'll live forever, who knows? But when I'm on my <laughs> deathbed, I want to know that I've helped increase the numbers in this sport. I think it's a life-changing sport. I think that when you run far distances, it permeates positively in every other facet of your life. So how the fuck do we grow this sport? Because it's still so niche and like, where does storytelling play a role? Like, just guide us. Get it into the Olympics. <laughs> With the, with the drone technology that we have nowadays, can you imagine something like that? Like, wherever the Olympics are in 20 years, running through the mountains and, ha- like, come on, man. That's going to be way more interesting than some of the other stuff that they got going on. Um, no, but I, I think, that, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll be, you know, reminded of this interview 10 years from now and the ideas that I have are just like, dude, that's, that was such a bad idea in, in hindsight. But, um there's this obsession almost ad nauseum with narrative. I'm sure anybody who has a good thing. has tried to seek sponsorship or or partnership relationships with with brands have yeah. heard narrative this narrative that. It's not a bad thing. Um however, there's a lot of uh <laughs> there's a lot of undeveloped and bad storytelling out there and i'm not what's an example without implicating because i want to know what that looks like so that we can work in another direction well and and so i also have to preface it with uh it's just like anything else the first i don't know if you are into making furniture the first piece that you make is probably going to have a lot of improvements that you see right off the bat Mm. And, and so I actually retract my earlier statement of there's a lot of bad storytelling. There's just a lot of uh, stale, um, undeveloped okay. uh, stories as far as because it is an art form. Um, you know, not only do people study and practice this every single day, but I mean, you know, to make a shitty movie, you have to make a lot of movies just to make a shitty one. Yeah. There's so much. Just like you can't just, well, I guess maybe some people could, but you can't just go off the couch and run 250 miles. You have to build up to it. You have to you have to practice it. You have to become kind of a steward of the activity. And where I see, I can only speak from my own experience. And so for me, it's all about empathizing with the athletes. Um, I am not an ultra runner. Um, I am not even like an endurance athlete. Um, I started riding a bike seriously during COVID in March. And then some gigs started coming up and I was like, oh man, if I want to be able to capture this and understand what this person is going through, what better way to do that than by subjecting myself to instances where, uh, you know, only few have tread. And so I got a bike in March. I rode almost every day, mostly because of boredom, uh, and then I attempted an Everesting in June. I failed that miserably. I made it 47 hours in, I think 25,000 feet, and I just died. I could not go any further. I was hallucinating like crazy. Uh, my legs were all locked up. I, I think I spent like a couple weeks recovering. And then I attempted it again in, in July and succeeded. Yeah. And those two experiences 
being out on a bike, doing an endurance thing with no sleep uh, for 47 hours the first time and 20 about 26, 27 hours the second time. There's just the, all sorts of intangible things that you can't really fully describe to anybody unless you do it yourself. And those sorts of experiences have helped me capture Michael Versteeg, Coconut 250, uh, Colorado Trail FKT, um, The Speed Project, yeah. in a way that if I was there before, it would have just been a spectator. It would have just been purely documentary. Yeah. Um, and I've cut my teeth in documentary style photos. I think that's a big proponent of my commercial work. But having been through those kinds of experiences it helped me understand them, what, what, what these athletes were feeling, um, where, their minds, where their mindset was at, how to navigate all the things not related to photography. Like, is it, do I feel okay to take my camera out and photograph this person as they're like weeping uncontrollably? There's all sorts of instances where unless you, for one, are, are, are trained or are always practicing or always having creative conversations and or a part of that scene already, yeah, the images, the, the narratives will kind of be, again, not, not bad, but just maybe not as developed as they could be. And so I see that a lot as far as getting back to the, you know, the question. Um, what, as somebody who has dipped their toes in the trail running world, but is primarily a cyclist, what have been the most attractive narratives to you in our sport to date? Oh man, that's another good question. I mean, everyone, I mean, especially at this point, post like, what do we take for granted as runners in the sport? What yeah, do we okay. take for granted? So like, I don't even notice it. It's like uh, that David Foster Wallace speech where it's like, you know, this is water. Like the fish doesn't even realize <laughs> that they're like swimming in water. Like what do I take for granted as an ultra runner when it comes to like, the storytelling side of the sport? Well, for one, the views, man. I mean, there are some places that Jimmy goes to that it would take me probably a day hike to get to. And he does it in an afternoon. And he's like, oh man, if you could just, well, man, maybe if you like hiked at 6 a.m. and met me there, I could get there at noon and you'd have been there for five hours already. And then we could do some photos and stuff. Um, the movement motion is the lotion, baby. I feel like the, the stuff that you're able to see, it can, you know, especially if you're on a long run or a hard run or a training run or something like that, like, look where you're at, man. Even if you're in the, the, like, like just most grungy part of a city, yeah. all the character, everything that's around you. I, I feel like, uh, the, the, transportation aspect you can go you like right from here right like right now from the studio you could go anywhere in salt lake yeah me i'm put me on a bike or i'll meet you there i'll drive my car um but uh i i i feel like that is a maybe an an underappreciated side of it. I mean, I know people, oh, we go on hikes and for the views and running and like, here's the Instagram of the trail that I'm on or whatever. Uh, the ability to like use your body, even if it's not like 100%, like being able-bodied is something I, I know I always take for granted. Um, 100%. I've had I've had bad uh, foot injuries. I, used, I, used, I played rugby for like two games in college and both games I got hurt with, with like high ankle sprains and couldn't walk for like four weeks. And those were just the worst and because I know I like to stay active and be active. And 
So I, th- I think that would maybe, at least for me, would probably be something that I take for granted. Um, Let's just say that you're the chief marketing officer <laughs> of ultra running. Sure. And your job is to package a product and to give it to the general public, especially people that aren't already in the sport. Would your value proposition be the places your feet are going to take you? Or are there other angles you would take? I think it would it would be a further development of that. I don't think it would be, um, you know, wh- where your feet will take you, you know? <laughs> I think it would be like... If, if I'm the, if I'm the CMO of a company and I have X amount of budget, yeah. um, I mean, I know how much it costs for me to dirtbag somewhere. It is not that much. So my, my proposition to the athlete would be, we know you're good at running. We know that you're, you know, that you're capable of whatever, like we're all, we're beyond that. We're past that. Like we're not having this conversation unless you're, you know, interested in running period i would say uh the only important thing that i would be looking for would be some sort of uh not even suffer fest because at this point like covid and everything like suffer fests are cool and really great and transformative yeah. but as far as photographing them it's sort of like almost been there done that yeah and so my question would just be like what kind of experience are you wanting to have and if someone's like, well, I just want to have some sort of transformative experience where I'm running through the Highlands in Scotland uh, on shrooms, I would say, great. Here, like, here's a photographer we'll link you up with. We might have a writing component, so we might send a, a copywriter go dirtbag in Scotland for a while. Uh, I want real stories. I don't want fabricated, um, oh, I'm a runner and this is going to be really hard and you know, I, I need, I need and have a thirst for this next tier authenticity. I need to divulge a little bit about what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's hard to say because you can, you can tell when somebody's like, oh, if I just had the money, I'd go and do that stuff. Yeah. I don't care if you're famous. I don't care if you are even super, super fit. Why the hell does anybody want to go run these distances? If it's for competition, sure, that is an important side of it. Um, that might be for like one shoot or something, but like there's gotta be something deeper that ultra runners and endurance athletes crave more than a podium. Well, I have I have a working theory. And there's this quote, a guy named Paul Graham. He's the founder of a startup incubator called Y Combinator. He has a quote, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Hmm. And we talked about how ultra runners are primarily coming from a white upper middle class background. And if you're somebody who is white, male, and upper middle class, chances are life has become increasingly easy for you. And because it's so easy, because it's so easy to get an income, to put a roof over your head, to access food, all of the things that we used to struggle for when we were early humans, you get bored. And I think that people are attracted to ultra running because they're bored and they need to manufacture challenge in their lives. Hmm. And, and I bring that quote up from Paul Graham because I think even people who are lower down the economic ladder, they're going to soon have the opportunities that the upper middle class has. They're going to have increasing predictability and safety in their lives. And they're going to want to seek out intentional challenge. And that's what the 
for the beauty of Ultron it comes in because once we've solved for true challenges in our lives, we can go seek out sort of manufactured challenges. Well, and and I feel like there's, I, I'm again being an idealist. There's got to be some sort of non-privileged approach to athletics. I mean, that's why I like track and field so much. Is it is one of the most approachable forms of athletics it's pure athletics yeah it's it is running running is the foundation for basically every sport in existence except maybe curling um but so there's got to be some sort of because yeah what i just described is an is such a privileged perspective right i mean it i mean and i'm not saying i agree with it i'm just saying that's sure a theory right i mean and that's sort of like adventure races right like they're super dope i mean you got to be a you got to have skills in so many different categories but i mean it's like so many thousands of dollars to enter usually in exotic locations that cost a couple thousand dollars to right. get there and who has twenty thousand dollars hanging around just right like i mean it's a great experience don't get me wrong but i believe that there has to be some sort of more pure pursuit in ultra running and i would i would pers- i would go after that as far as if i was a cmo of a company i would say um like the thought that we're only chasing challenges once we're comfortable i mean that is not the lifestyle of someone like me yeah um it's it's almost like as soon as i get complacent i like am so not okay yeah um I think maybe because like every instance of my life, every like second, you know, especially as a kid yeah. was kind of filled with some sort of challenge or anxiety. Yeah. You know, who who's going to say something to me as I walk to the grocery store? Who's going to say something to me at school? Right. Who's going to say something to me as we're, you know, on the football field? Who's going to say something to me when we're on the track? Who's going to say something? Who am I going to see something on TV where they make a really bad joke? Um, so it's like this baseline that I have that doesn't take up any bandwidth, but it, it is my baseline now. And mm. from that experience, to to perceive ultra running as a competitive sport, very privileged. My concern uh, or my pursuit, if I was a CMO of a company, would be to uncover or unlock a an experience or a life lesson or something that everyone or the majority of people could relate to because i think in general most people can't relate to running 257 miles in 72 hours definitely not you know but but there is there is an inherent appreciation for the effort and i think that i would i'd be more concerned with developing a narrative kind of based around that i mean take the speed project um you know who who knows how much it is to to enter or submit a team but there's the whole thing is literally no rules. You have to make it from Santa Monica Pier to Vegas. Was this what uh, Strava sponsored? No, this was uh, this was with Satisfy. Satisfy. I was, I was, yeah, I was like embedded with um, okay. with Team Satisfy. Um, but they didn't care if you you know if you were this color, that color, whatever. They're just like, here's here's the parameters, go. And I think there's. Uh, I'm kind of attracted to like an unbridled, like I'm kind of not anti-government, but I'm just sort of like, man, the UCI has just done a terrible job with. What's the UCI? Uh, uh, oh God, it's the 
it's the governing body of uh, international cycling. Okay. And then even the Olympic, uh, uh, when they when they banned Shikari Richardson for, oh yep yep for smoking weed or yep. whatever, like seriously, like a bunch of dusty old like people like oh God, this is my sport and you can't do that. like that come on. Man. I I so all that to say, another segue, um, underground racing. Well, two, I want to make sure we cover two things mm. before we conclude this conversation. The first is underground racing because we were chatting about this at the fire down in Moab. And then I also want to talk, I actually do want to talk about Satisfy Running. I sure, to, yeah. Because they, I don't typically want to give brands a, a huge segment in a show, but I don't think a lot of people know about them. And I think that what they're doing is sort of a narrative violation uh, <laughs> when you compare it to like North Face and La Sportiva and Patagonia. No offense because those are all great brands. I'm just saying they're, they're, as those brands are zigging, Satisfied is zagging. So, um, but yeah, anyways, just wanted to say, say that. Let's talk about underground racing. Yes, man. So <laughs> this ties into that whole lack of wanting people to tell me what to do, I guess. Um, so my my friend, uh, shout out Matt Shapiro, Shapiro the Hero Shapiro, on Instagram. We, we love Matt. If anyone in Salt Lake that doesn't know Matt Shapiro, you are worse off for it because that guy is the man. You need also Crude Logan on Tahoe 200. Crude Logan, also an ultra runner, probably has more of a purpose to be on this podcast than I do. <laughs> we'll get him on at some point. He's the man. He's awesome. Yeah. So, and then this can kind of tie into the, the way that I see shit going in source marketing. It's, it's, I, I feel like when everybody was kind of working from home, um, the height of COVID 2020, um, there was sort of this, oh, no one's looking over my shoulder anymore kind of thing. And people in general became more productive because they knew that if they got more work done faster, then they could go out and do more fun shit. Mm. And, and then as companies started having people get, come back to the office, it's sort of like for one, why you can send that in an email. Mm. Um, but for two, um, we don't really need people like micromanaging us. And then, and then all the stuff with the UCI about, well, your socks have to be so, so high or we're going to fine you $10,000 and, like your saddle angle has to be so within a certain range. I'm like, like, really, this is what, this is what people are losing sleep over is, you know, did you shave your legs? Because we have a, we have an appearance. We have whatever to, you know, but people aren't, the majority of people aren't like that. And I, so Matt and I conceived of this idea of some underground uh, bike races and 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 even to the to the point of like some underground foot races where it is literally the antithesis of what social media marketing has become which is oh i'm super personable but buy this thing it is now our idea to we don't care what you're wearing or what you look like or if you want to dress a weird way or if you have you know whatever we are going to put on some bike races and some foot races and it's just going to be fun and truly community building because nothing builds community more than a midnight hundred mile gravel race, uh, where the winner gets a cool prize, which I won't say. And the dead, the DNF or wait, the DFL, the dead fucking last prize. They have to like drink a, I don't know, a 14 day skunked out PBR or something like that. 
Um, I feel like stuff like that where it's got character. It's 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 fucking weird. Like I don't I don't really. I used to want my whole life in a box as a kid because I had boatloads of anxiety. Yeah. And now I am just sort of like, no, that's kind of a personality trait that I think contributes to my uh, photography, not the whole anxiety thing, but the the my life is all over the place and I have so many creative influences. And I think that with the with how cookie cutter Salt Lake can sometimes be, it could use a little shaking up. And so the, the thought occurred to us to do some sort of fun, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a fun run, except not a turkey trot, you know, and yeah. then with a lot, a lot of like crazy shit going on. And it's just, you just feel a lot more free and a lot less confined uh, to these rules, you know, alley cat uh, bike races are a big inspiration uh, Matt has spent time in New York City as well, San Francisco, two big scenes for that. Great track uh, track scene there. Um, and it's like, it's like a destination race. Um, point to point to point to point, you know, a bunch of checkpoints in between. And then there, there's some proof. Like one was like, oh, you got to run from here uh, to emigration, but you must hit all the donut shops on the way there. Yeah. And then the proof is a receipt. Yeah. So you'd have to like actually get a donut from each one or some shit like that. I don't know. It could, it could be, I don't know. It could be, you have to run down to the CBD spot off of 700 and then run all the way back. Like who knows? It's the, the idea though is unbridled creativity in athletics. And I don't think that ath- uh, athletes get to uh, exercise that ha, 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 uh, as much as they typically would yeah. uh, in, in a kind of here are all of the, you know, flags to right. the finish line. That's a great thought. And I think on this show, we love to entertain things that other sports are doing well, that ultra running would be better off to adopt. And maybe this already happens in our sport. I mean, you talked about the speed project with Satisfy Running, but I don't think that it's as developed as you just described in the cycling world. And we've talked about this on other shows, how the climbing world is cool in its own regard as well. Um, this is great. Well, they, I, I mean, it. they have they have their own stuff. They got, what is it, like 24-hour uh, horseshoe hell. How many pitches can you put up in 24 hours? Well, I talked with uh, Jack Kenzel on the show, maybe it was two or three episodes ago, and we both basically agreed that climbers are the coolest because they're so <laughs> close to death. And even the sponsored athletes in that sport are just, like, uniformly cool because, I don't know, I guess it's just the culture that you don't shill as much and you're more into just, like, presenting your well-rounded self well i think it's a pretty pure form of of movement too because i mean with shoes like to be honest if you're if you're sprinting and you've got the newest you know super stiff spike plate whatever shoe you're gonna beat somebody who's just wearing trainers yeah you know um to a certain point right but like they're i mean with super shoes and hyper shoes and yeah all this new tech, if you are of that caliber, that could give you an edge. Whereas in climbing, I mean, like basically everybody's sticky rubber is the same. You either can pull on it and crank or not. Mm. So I kind of think that there there's less excuses in climbing, you know? Um, so it, to me, it seems, it seems pretty pure. And also they're just fucking weird in, in running. Like, I mean, in climbing, you're not going to get somebody, oh, you're wearing those shoes? Like, you must suck or something. You must be poor. Like, dude, 
but that happens all the time in running. Like, oh, they're running in the Hoka Rincons and they're, they right. should be running in the right. whatever. I'm like, dude, does right. it fucking matter? Uh, I mean, I think I feel like Jimmy ran Bear 100 in like road shoes because he needed something stiffer for the shout out ultra duos. Yeah, like it. It seems to be a lot of obsession over gear, and I think that's a cool thing, but to the point where it becomes not cool. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like it, I feel like every industry needs shaking up, and I feel like these things are already happening. This this isn't these ideas aren't new. Yeah. Um, but as far as like the scene and as far as Salt Lake in particular, I feel like, like, dude, I don't even know. Like it goes beyond a beer mile, <laughs> you know, it like, a, right. or even like, uh, inter interdiscipline relays or something, you yeah. know, we yeah. were talking about that over the fire, <laughs> uh, mountain bike hands off to a trail runner, right. hands off to a, you know, whatever road cyclist hands off to someone. It's all like significant distances. You know, so it'd be like a 50K hands off to a century, you know, hands off to a ground, like a 62 mile something. Yeah. You know, hands off to a, I don't know. You know what? If there's one thing that I want listeners to take from this episode, it's that nothing is fucking set in stone. Like if you're dissatisfied with the way our sport is organized or just any element of it that you don't like, just know that it can be changed and that you can be a part of the solution. <laughs> that's really inspirational i just want to say that i i mean it, there's I people mean, that are like oh you know i'm an athlete and uh i have to present myself this way on social media and that's the only way i can do it no dude satisfied chose michael because he didn't he told them he didn't want to post and they were like cool we don't want people who are all about that actually you know what let's do it let's do it. let's i want to say do two more things <laughs> we, are, we are gonna go on record time here but fuck it it's worth it oh my like bad this, i'm sorry uh, shame on you and your attention span is it mike who has that? no this is for you and me let's keep <laughs> going here uh satisfy running mm. they're kind of to me i didn't even know i mean i don't even know how logan found them. i have to ask him about that that's just incredible but they're kind of an enigma to me they have a couple notable athletes Talk about your experience working with the brand, what they represent, what their philosophies on the sport, stuff like that. I fucking love Brees. And who's he? Brees Partouche. Okay. He is the coolest. I mean, he's just, I feel like um, he's a creative at heart. He's not a marketer. Okay. Uh, and I hope he does not take offense to that because clearly shit's going well. But he, I think, at least I look to him, he's a prime example of uncompromising the... Uh, like the point, like, what is the, what is the, I know uh, Logan was talking about the why, you yeah. know, very, very Simon Sinek of him. Um, start with why, bro. Start with why, bro. I, but I feel like, I feel like Satisfy is very uncompromising in their vision. They have turned down um, collaborations and whatnot with other. Yeah. What's the vision? Brands or people. Uh, run, get high, make cool shit. Wow. You know, the, the stuff that they like. What do. kind of drugs are they advocating? <laughs> well, you, you have to go on their website, uh, <laughs> www.satisfy.com. Uh, no. Um, and that's okay, by the way. They're, I'm with it. The, I mean, the first the first shoot that I did with them was for um, uh, after Logan, because that yeah. was kind of just like, a, hey, we're just going to do this thing. Yeah. Um, the first shoot I did for them was their, it's called the Possessed um basically merch drop and basically all of the merch was designed uh or inspired rather by like old tour band merch and they had this like 
what I like about it is they they look at certain things and they call bullshit. You know, you can run in cotton shirts. It's fine. It's actually a lot more comfortable, in my opinion. Um, you know, their socks are French terry. You know, their their supply chain is really small. They uh, are truly seeking a combination of culture, music, and running. And I, they like they do collaborations and whatnot, but they do it on their own terms. Yeah. You know, a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm a marketer. I know that a lot of people are like, okay, if our brand's going to be associated with you, then we're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And Satisfy would be the first to be like, no, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> because they don't have to appease deep pockets. Um, their running world drop that they just did. So cool. They basically... Um, made running world cool again <laughs> you know it they're well, and what's running world sorry or runner's world the, oh, like right. the yeah sorry sorry not running world that's my bad i'm either not enough scotch or too much scotch i don't know yet um this but is great scotch <laughs> right it's super good dangerously good <laughs> but they they are uncompromising in their vision and that's something that i really respect and appreciate because they they know that in order to support that vision they need good creative mm. and in order to have good creative they need good people working together um adam voidoid um one of my favorite dudes ever shout out adam um, would love to have him on the pod adam if you somehow listen to this you're welcome on the pod anytime super handsome guy uh and and they're they're more concerned about the collaborative energy between individuals than they are with oh who who's a, such and such a name like oh my god they're it's that brand we can't say no to them like no and i feel like that is what a lot like a lot of athletes can learn a lot from them even if they don't ever buy a piece of their gear just by being uncompromising in in, in the value that you can bring and, and how you can potentially change stuff up because i think brands will be the first to dismiss that and as soon as you let them know that you're okay with that then they will you know run the tables on you but yeah shout out satisfy and, and breeze and G, uh jeff godinet and all them they're awesome people yeah i was looking at their website earlier today i think there is a section of their site where they have their previous magazine editions yep they very much go for that like early 70s late 60s laurel canyon uh alternative rock kind of mm -hmm. vibe i feel like it's like a time machine yeah to like crosby stills and nash and i don't know this like <laughs> whole era of like music well, and, and, and like that's even like a running vibe and that's the thing too is we were talking about the homogenization of the running industry yeah. and they are they are the antithesis to that um i want to start a running brand now by the way they, they inspire <laughs> me like we'll take some notes from satisfies playbook because they they're doing it right they're not oh so and so is doing this we need to do that you know, they, they're a combination of culture and tech um, with a lot of honesty. You won't get anybody like, oh, I need to modulate how I talk because I'm on an interview with whatever. Like they tell it how it is. And whether it's popular or unpopular, um, people are attracted to what other people are stoked on. And again, even if you never buy a piece of their clothing, I think they're doing a lot for the for the running, for the ultra scene. Um, shout out Michael Versteeg. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's their first sponsored athlete. And the first showing we uh, that we did like any photos for was Cocodona. And he, that shoot was like a one and a half, two days 
of just like romping around where he lives shooting yeah. and then the race and and it was like what we were talking about earlier about narrative and docu- like it's not like okay Mike now here's the script and here's what we got to do it was hey dude live your life and we're just going to photograph it and like we don't I, like because I come from a like a photo doc background right. so for me I do have instances where I'm like hey, hey can you do that or maybe do this or angle this way or that way or something like that but it's I try to be as non-invasive as possible because you're, again, with the whole talk about being organic, you know, the more you're trying to pamper something, the less um, true it, it and honest it is. And I now know who he is and he's a fascinating person in our sport, but what did Satisfy see in Michael Versteep that made them want to sponsor him? Yeah, so, so I mean, I've, I've been, I've heard a little bit of the story um definitely something that you know if, if adam came on the podcast yeah. he could definitely answer way better than i could um but they saw there was this old video it's called like the whiskey runner actually shot by jameel uh curry um, also want him on the pod yeah they uh and it's just michael do, do being michael and drinking whiskey and running ultras and stuff and they're like this dude is cool and he has like fringe <laughs> like he's running a fringe so I don't. Aside from that, I don't really know okay. how that the conversations transpired. But I know from like the photo video marketing side, they were like, Michael was basically like, "Hey, I'm not gonna sh- post shit. I'm not gonna hashtag sponsored ad anything. That's not who I am, uh, and that's not what running like. That's no. That's just not gonna happen." Yeah. And Satisfy was like, "Okay, that's not. That's fine, because to them, it's not metrics and numbers and whatever. It's like." The actual lifestyle, big surprise. If you like do the things that you do and live that lifestyle, you don't really have to worry about those numbers as much. Yeah. Um, because he's having such a higher impact in the community and at the races he goes to and the interviews he does and the people he talks to than posting some like just self-indulgent little, shit. A little cringe, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So, uh, but I mean, I can't really speak to that. Um but that's like basically that connection. <laughs> and then he then he debuted at Cocodona 250. Jamil asked him to to run it, uh, and he won. So, go figure. Pretty crazy. Last thread I want to cover before we wind down. We talked about this at the top of the podcast. You're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you are your own boss. Yeah. And I think that there are people who listen to this show that harbor a dream to some degree to dedicate their lives to the sport or Mm. to be in the endurance sports world, doing their own thing, whether it's race directing, running some sort of e-commerce business, being a pro athlete, whatever, they wanna be their own boss. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking a couple of days ago, you spoke to your journey to becoming an entrepreneur and where you're at now. What's some advice that you have that has applicability to our community if you want to go all in to some degree when it comes to making a living yeah well that's it, fine i don't know if i would consider myself to be an entrepreneur i um, definitely do by the, way, <laughs> the one and i got a i got a i got an mba which in this day of age means absolutely nothing the one thing i did learn in that degree is how to identify people that are uh self-sufficient and you are that so well, you're i have a bachelor's so if if you're four ply, if your degree is four ply, mine's mine's two ply. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, if I have any advice or anything like that, well, so I've tried. I tried to 
working corporate for the longest time. And corporate is just a broad term. I mean, I, I was a safety diver at NASA for a short period of time. I worked at a, I've worked at a gear shop. I've worked after college. I was like at a dollar general distribution center. I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I worked, uh, at an outdoor uh, retailer. Um, it I rhymes was... with smack shuntry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, the more I tried to fit into these roles, the less that, the, like the less that I actually did to my dismay. Um, Wait, say that again. The more that I tried to fit into these roles, the less that I actually did. And take note. <laughs> and, and I mean, but it's like, it's like, I'm, if I'm being honest, like it's fucking hard. It's tough. I mean, um, but, I, but the thing for me is the bullshit that happens during, you know, this, this kind of, this kind of work is the stuff that I'm willing to work through and, 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 you know, smooth over and, and make work. Uh, I, I would get so just triggered at the smallest stuff in the in corporate world, you know, you're bottlenecked by somebody and you know, they're not communicating. And I was like, I mean, this is, this is crazy. Like how, why am I even here? Kind of thing. And I mean, I mean the, the precipice was kind of working at NASA, um, and oceaneering space systems as a safety diver. Yeah. I had like just been, uh, you know, gotten to the end of like all the training and stuff and was diving with astronauts and stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I'm happy. I don't know. Like this is meaningful work. The people that I met there are yeah. all aces, but I don't like, I would go home after working with astronauts and lie in bed and be like, man, did you see that one commercial? How did they shoot that? That's really cool. Like, yeah. man, what's the lighting like and all that. And those are the things that would keep me up at night. Not like, Oh, you know, and McLean's coming in to, you know, do space stuff. So I, and, and let me just say one, one quick thing. And that is, I think Mo and I, we are definitely biased towards the world of entrepreneurship as being lone wolves in business. I will say that there is absolutely value in working in the corporate world. And some of the smartest, most brilliant people I know work in that world and they crush it and they're brilliant managers of people. And honestly, that's what it takes in that world, in my opinion. So no knock on that world at all. We're just saying, if you do want to entertain this, world well so, and the, so i just wanted to say that because <laughs> I, I, all of you that work in corporate i love you well and the and cruel the cruel irony of it all is is that i still have a high yearning to work <laughs> like to cultivate like a, a family you know yeah, community yeah. um so that that's definitely a tough part about being kind of like this lone wolf like this this mercenary in the, yeah. in the marketing world um but knowing what you know now if you, if you go back to like 2017 2018 when you, when you started to dive into this world what are some lessons you want to impart to the audience? Oh man. I mean, so the biggest thing that I learned in art school is you have to be gentle with yourself. Um, you, you have to know that you are constantly getting better and that things will get better, you know, whether it's just your proficiency at a certain thing. Yeah. But a lot of, um, non-starters occur, uh, or non-starting events occur when, when it's just all, oh, this video that I did sucks. Yeah. This interview that I did is not great. Yeah. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. The biggest thing for me um, in art school was like just putting shit out there. And and I actually have a collection of old stuff that I shot like when I was in college where looking back at it now, I'm like, oh my God, this is 
this is not good <laughs> at all. But you appreciate that milestone in the in the journey. You know, if I didn't take that crappy photo, which led to that crappy photo, yeah, I wouldn't get to that less crappy photo. And then, yeah. oh, that good photo. And then, holy shit, that really good photo. And then, oh my gosh, like we're shooting for Call of Duty. And yeah. then all these other things that happen after it has to occur uh, on a small, small, small level somewhere, somehow. And the biggest thing for me was I was pretty i go through these cycles of being like supremely confident and then being like imposter syndrome yeah just over and over and over and that's just the life of a creative i think yeah uh, at least for me i have one thousand percent felt that you know you're like oh man yeah that stuff is really good and yeah. then like a month later you do another shoot and you're like whoa i thought that other stuff was really good oh my gosh yeah um but i think a piece of advice would definitely be um to just keep putting the stuff out there. I know people have said that a million times, but to understand its positioning in your development as a entrepreneur. Mm. Um, because nobody told me in college how to reach out to brands or how to contact people or like what to say or, yeah. or where, like, like I used to, like, I remember early on, I went to like a trade show and met nobody and it was a waste of three days. And like, I got, a, I got like two business cards and that was like it. And I was like, holy shit, I just spent like, $1,500 to go do this thing. And yeah. like, it was such like, no, it was terrible, but other people have had that success. And so that's what I thought you needed to do. Yeah. And then I just started, I think I've sent like 400 cold emails the first year I was full-time freelance. That to me was way more successful. And so the thing is like, anyone can tell you what they did to find success. Yeah. You, but it can be different. You can have completely opposite results, whether good or bad. So you just need to start doing shit. Um, and I know I like I listen to podcasts and I hear business people say that stuff. And I'm like, man, that fucking, that's terrible advice. That sucks. But there's a certain point where you either. Uh, and, and this is a quote from a book called Art and Fear. It's very good. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Basically, it says uh, something to the effect of creatives start to create when the um when the fear of creating uh, diminishes the fear of complacency. Yeah. And so that has kind of been a theme for my creative journey of either I'll feel complacent and then I'll start to get like, holy shit, what if, what if all these clients decide that they don't want to re-up next year? Yeah. Then I'll literally be at square, you know, at, at the starting point again. And yeah. so then I do passion projects and then I do, you know, these things that I've been sleeping on for a while. And then that stuff turns into other work. And that's kind of my story of the pandemic. Yep. I took all of the measly money that the state of Utah gave me on like pandemic unemployment aid because all my shoots got canceled. And I instead, well, I probably could have been more responsible in hindsight, but instead of like, Oh, saving it and putting it away, I spent it on production that I put on myself. And those specific productions turned into contracts that I now have. Yeah. So there are risks that you need to take. There are calculated risks that any business uh, owner, any entrepreneur must take. But if your reasoning is sound, and I'm not saying, oh, well, man, I had to buy that Maybach as a business expense. I guess I, like, man, I got to do it. Yeah. No, like it was putting on shoots. It was being able to pay other friends that were struggling so that we could kind of like get through this together. Um, those kinds of moves are the moves that you need to be making in order to 
succeed at least in freelance photography at a high level because anybody literally anybody i could i could jump on a laptop right now and reach out to five companies and say hey i want to be an ambassador here's some work that i've done like and then probably have emails by the end of the week with like cool here's five pieces of product for a, a year of work for them and that's not me being overly confident or arrogant that's just how the scene is but if you want to perform at a higher level with your business or in this case with photography or with graphic design or anything in the marketing realm uh those things take a lot more time and the sooner you get started on it the better off you'll be when so i got laid off from this retailer yeah uh the the instance i got home and opened up my laptop i had an email from a company that I had reached out to six months prior. Yeah. And you just can't plan that stuff. And they had they said, hey, we're looking for a photographer, blah, 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 blah. And that was the start of my full-time freelance career, was getting laid off. And then a company that I reached out to almost like half a year before finally got back to me. So you can never discount the timing um, and you can never discount the experiences that you've had previously uh, because this company also required that I be a certified diver. For this photo shoot so you know people were like frustrated that i was leaving nasa but you just can't plan this stuff so don't discount your experience that you already have currently mm. and don't uh and, and and don't allow yourself to convince you not to do something because again another kind of paraphrased quote from the book art and fear is uh the biggest reason why creatives stop doing the work that they're doing isn't because they lose jobs or because someone else, ooh, someone else beats them, ooh, because yeah. someone's always going to be more talented. No, it's they decide to stop. And I think that if if as athletes you decide to stop running, that's totally fine. That's going to be one of the few factors that truly influences your career. Not oh, such and such a brand dropped me, or such and such a brand chose a different athlete over me. You know, it, it'll, it'll be because you choose to stop and you can take solace in the fact that you have that much power uh, or you can be afraid that you have much, that much power in your own future. So, yeah. Well, I want to make one comment before we go into the lightning round. That was all beautifully <laughs> said. And that's all I'm going to let that stand on its own. You said something early on that I'm going to take a quote from a previous episode to support it. I had a guy named Mario Friel on the show and his parting gift to the listeners was pay attention to what you pay attention to. Mm. And the reason I say that is because you said that when you were working at NASA, you weren't that satisfied. You'd go home at night, you'd flip on the TV and you'd find yourself analyzing the ads and being like, Oh, like what's the lighting? Like, how's the scripting going? That was you identifying what you're good at and what you're interested in. But it was in that sort of liminal moment outside the nine to five to anyone listening to this show right now, what is your equivalent of Moe's flipping on the TV and analyzing ads? Because whatever that is, that's probably what you should be doing. So yeah. just wanted to throw that out there. No, I, I mean, I think that's that's super true. And, and, and it literally will go as far as you want it to go, I think. Because, I mean, I've been doing full-time freelance for maybe five years. I've been doing freelance work, period, for closer to seven yeah in that span of time 
people have asked me, oh man, how do you do this? Or how do you do that? Or I'm looking to become a photographer and do this and do that. And I mean, like I, I would tell them and you know, I don't, there's nothing I'm doing that is supremely unique. It is the style that I bring and the approach that I bring that is unique. And of those numerous people, how many are currently still doing photography? Maybe one. And that is because they see, uh, they have this misconception that this work is like easy or, or like, you know, yes, anyone can take a photograph. The technology we have these days, everyone's becoming more visually literate because of social media and whatnot. Yeah. But can you survive as an entrepreneur? Is it something that you are willing to put up with the bullshit? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And I think that is the biggest differentiator because at, a, at the end of the day, you know, if I wanted to do podcasts because I thought I could make a lot of money and it was easy, then everyone would be doing podcasts. But it's not. It's a lot of it's a lot of work that people don't see behind the scenes. It's a labor of love. And and, and that's why uh, that's that's ultimately why most of those people, the majority of those people aren't photographers nowadays. They're they're like, oh, man, it was something that I thought was easy and I could pursue and shoot weddings for five grand and make a, a like a nice little mint over the summer. And then they realize, oh, my gosh, there is a lot of time and effort that goes into this stuff that you don't see because as a working professional, you don't show people the shitty side of things, you know? Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I think it's 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 idealistically, again, you want everyone to be pursuing their dreams and to be doing everything that they love and making a shit ton of money. The reality of it is people's time and bandwidth and comfort levels within pursuing stuff like this varies. But even still, if you pursue something on a side gig basis, yeah, it's still worth it. If you pursue something like, oh, I want to quit my job that I've been working at for 10 years to pursue something else. Do it. Yeah. It, that's great. If you have the, the, you know, the bandwidth, you will, you will never feel a hundred percent ready but the ultimate uh, benefits that you can receive from doing work that you really enjoy is, is the, I mean, that it's too many to count. Um, and I think that when you allow yourself to have that kind of slack, like it doesn't have to be this life-changing career switch. You know, I think that most people should have a creative outlet. And most people who are, you know, maybe not as happy typically either overwork themselves or don't have that kind of uh, release, you know. Well, one thing I'll say to close this thread, and I'm sure Mo would volunteer the same. If you're in the Salt Lake area, wherever you are in life, whether you're a runner, biker or whatever, and you want to talk about this shit, we love talking about this shit. So let's hop on a bike sometimes, hop on a run sometime, let's talk. Hell yeah, dude. And and. I'm a runner, man. I have three pairs of shoes. Dude, you're, more, you're more a runner than I am. And you ran in college and high school. I didn't run until like I was 26. But dude, that's the thing, man, is I mean, just like that, how like you're running at an elite level. Well, you know what? Well, like dude, a- fourth at Dead Horse. That's that's like that's a that's a fucking huge effort. It's the equivalent of a local legend segment. <laughs> but but I but I mean much. like, dude, my my path of photography was I was at school in South Florida uh, as a marine biology student and I didn't like the school that much. And I transferred out and I was like, they didn't have marine biology in Indiana. Go figure. (laughs) And I was like, huh, what should I, what should I transfer into business? No, I don't want to wear a suit. 
sciences. No, I just hated doing lab when I was in Florida. Graphic design, ah, seems kind of fun, but I don't really know how to draw that well. Photography, well, that seems easy. I think I'll just do that. And it wasn't easy, but luckily enough, you know, it has worked out. But I mean, you know, I was I was sitting there in 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 my like 101 classes, I'm like, oh, introduce yourself and tell us how long you've been shooting photos. And these kids were like, yo, I got my first camera when I was one years old and I was taking pictures. And I was like, what the fuck? You were yeah. one years old? Yeah. How? Yeah. And then other people, oh man, I got I I took a seven month backpacking trip through Europe after high school and fell in love with photography i'm like wow that's romantic that's yeah. awesome and then they got to me and i was like i just switched into the major because i thought it was going to be easy like that was my <laughs> that was the impetus for me to start but regardless of the reasoning it's the effort and the time that you pour into it and i like i i've tried to do other things as a career and it has just not worked out um, and it always has come back to photography. So just similar to your running experience, like doesn't yeah. matter when you start, matter when or, you start. Or, or what the reason is it's for exactly. you to start. Um, but you're here, you're doing damn it. it. Pay attention to what you pay attention to and don't discount what you do in those liminal moments. And when I say liminal, I mean the in-between moments of quote unquote major things. Pay attention to that because that's probably where your sphere of genius is. Mm. All right. I'm going to go into the lightning round. Lightning round, let's do lightning it. Round. It's not really lightning. We're probably spending 30 minutes on this. <laughs> Dude, I'm so sorry. If, there, if we ran an ad for, what is the name of the scotch? Dalhuini. If we ran an ad for Dalhuini, <laughs> it would be increases the length of your podcast by 50%. <laughs> Man, this shit is so good. It's one of my favorites. That that and sheep dip. We I mean, don't have you a got sponsor your Mc- yet, but we're giving them this this uh, this slot. You got your McKellen, you know, you got your Glenlivet and your Glenfiddich, and you know, you got that. They're all great. Like I love. I got I got a an emergency bottle of McKellen twelve in my in my car for camping emergencies. Is it is it Dow Winnie or Dow Winnie? Oh, it's it's a, a light uh, a light breathy W H Dow Winnie. It's like cool whip. <laughs> <laughs> but this stuff, I mean, it's yeah, it's one of my favorites. So smooth drinking, good for conversations. I mean, it is the gentle spirit. No, no. Okay, that's that might be the title of the show, the gentle spirit. Mo, Molo share. <laughs> As I'm shit talking brands. I love brands. I mean, I mean, truly, I would not be here if it wasn't for the companies that had took the risk on working with me and given me the chance. And that is that means the world to me. And but I I think the reason why I talk so fervently about this stuff is because I see so much potential in it and and I could I see so much positivity that these brands can bring the ultra scene the just the, I mean the running scene period and altruistically we'd be there already if, if that was kind of like where everything was at but you know I, I I understand that there's the money behind it there's the logistics there's the planning there's literally shit that I don't know anything about and so I think idealism is a great place to start because, you know, you're always constantly bringing it back down to earth. But the scene could not be more welcoming and inclusive. I think now maybe it's time to extend that welcome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And let me also just add to that. I freaking love every single brand in our sport. I love Ultra. I love North Face. I love Hoka. I love Solomon. La Sportiva. Let's just run down the list. Love them all. I just love marketing and I love brand marketing and I love being on the frontier of brand marketing. And all we're talking about here is what it would look like if these brands extended themselves to the frontier of 
what works and what resonates most with people. So, mm. oh, and one yeah. the the other thing that crossed my mind too is um, when you're talking about what we can do to advance the storytelling narrative, the marketing yeah. stuff. I've embedded with uh, anti poaching rangers in South Africa. The images that I got for me. Of, on top of being incredibly formative, yeah. you actually have the time to develop these relationships. And if there is an athlete out there that has some sort of thing that they're doing and whatever, yeah, I don't care if they're sponsored or not. The idea is that you can't rush these kinds of relationships, whether it's brand BIPOC relationships, whether it is brand sponsorships and their athletes the the main theme of this entire chat i think is that if you want to rush these things you will get a rush product if you want to actually invest in the community in the athletes in the individuals that are the fuel for your brand there must be foundational narratives foundational shoots foundational stories that are told which cannot be developed over the course of a one day or two day shoot um Mm. now there's the time and place for those things right again the balance like hey we need do we have this launch we need to do this thing that's great that's fine that's perfect yeah but the 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 photo shoots that i am the most interested in are the ones that allow the individual to not just tell about themselves hey my name's so and so i'm a whatever i do this thing i run great that's cool just like everybody else that's perfect yeah but they get to show that in how they live and who they surround themselves with. Um, and they allow the inspiration that fuels them to, uh, to inspire others. And I think that's kind of the point of maybe that is the, the thing that I'm chasing is more developed in, uh, not intentional. Oh my God. I almost said intentional. Everybody says that these days. Um, but it is, it is more honest. It is more truthful to the scene. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that is maybe, maybe the infusion of, of style that, that these brands might need, but I don't know shit, dude. No, (laughs) uh, there's a couple people that I asked to come back on the show at a future date. You're one of them. So we're going to continue this thread on a future episode. First lightning round question. All right, man, hit me. Hold on. What is, and and when I say lightning round, man, it's, it's, it's so chill. Like you can take as long as you want. Yeah. Take a swing. (laughs) Dude, we killed it? over half a bottle of this scotch. <laughs> we killed over half. I'm a telling bottle. you, this stuff is good, man. It is from the highest distillery in Scotland, set in the windswept Grampian Mountains. <laughs> I probably mispronounced that. With their they say windswept. Yeah, it does. That's a that is a whoever is their copywriter. 1898. Wow, this was bottled 15 years ago. 15, dude. How old was I? I was I was 14 years old. In, when this was bottled. In 15 years ago. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm 30 now, so. Anyways. And now now it's half gone. Hell yeah. Well, what is the most recent book, movie, or podcast you've consumed that has changed the way you live? Oh, man. Single Track with Logan Williams. (laughs) (laughs) That is is honestly the most recent podcast I watched. No, that's a a really good question because uh, going back to your one friend, um, Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Yeah. I have a similar quote that is um, what you put in as far as like media and, and, and whatever. What oh, you yeah. put in is what you put out. Yeah. 
So honestly, if you're watching a lot of like murder mystery, murder crime podcasts and movies, you're going to commit a crime. Then I don't want to be around. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, man, that's a really great question. I got to take a second to think about that. But but while you're thinking about that, let me just say one thing. Media diet is incredibly important. It comes naturally to us that, you know, when we eat good food, we're going to feel good and we're going to look good and all that kind of stuff. But when you have a good media diet, you're going to think good. So what you just said there was was good. But anyways, sorry, I interrupted you. What are you thinking? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to look up the title. Is it a book? Is it a TV show? Is it a podcast? It's a, it's a, so I'm, I am inherently a visual person, mm. a very tactile person. It'd be weird if you weren't. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Visuals to me can translate to like tactility. You know, you can see the brush strokes. You can imagine how it feels. You can, um, I don't know, you can uh, do something with your hands and, and, and all the associated stimuli from it. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm learning to fly helicopters. Flying the helicopters is the easy part. The books that are associated with it, that to me is the hard part. So... Um, I'm trying to look up. There is a a show on Netflix. Um, Hold on. It's not Cowboy Bebop, although I do love Cowboy Bebop. Our our producer, Mike Tamayo, is going to love that you watch Cowboy Bebop. Oh, dude. (laughs) Come on. Um... Let's see. God dang. What is it? It's not Concrete Cowboy, but it's the it's basically the the um the cowboy film shot by the bullets. Okay. And it I mean it's amazing. What's, yeah, what's what's the takeaway for the audience? Well, the takeaway is to challenge everything that you know, <laughs> because Utah in particular has a firm history of like the whole cowboy settling the West, and sure. the wild, wild West and all that, sure. where the first cowboys were actually Native American and black cowboys trained by Mexican vaqueros. So the idea that you are being told something by any sort of governing body, um, maybe not necessarily distrust, but learn for yourself do some self-discovery um, and this whole film turns the entire cowboy genre up on its head. Um, and, and, and it's kind of gotten to the point like where for me that, I mean, it, that's probably not the takeaway that the directors had for the viewers, but when you get caught in this feedback loop of photography and brands and what we need and what we want versus what you would like and what, what, fe- you know, what, prosperous future you have for the brand yeah um it can wear you down a little bit you know um and that kind of just fuels the passion project scene that's kind of the impetus for these underground races and everything and i i I think the whole the whole idea is um that just because things have been done a certain way for a certain amount of time does not mean that they have to be done that same way for the rest of forever Mm. Um, and the biggest thing that I am pushing for brands for 2020, what is it, 2022, mm. will be to shoot more long-term projects. And that doesn't necessarily mean time, but it means investment. Um, if that is to look after their athletes, 
if that is a story that takes that physically takes place over a long period of time. Um, I feel like if you are investing in an athlete, then you should invest in the athlete, not just as a transactional relationship, but one that shows that you are you are basically encouraging their future, that you want them to have uh, more than they have now. Maybe you give them health care. And maybe they, you give them, because dude, if you are idea. running 250 fucking miles and you break your leg, who's paying for that? Well, like, maybe the workers comp is, but <laughs> beyond all that. Yeah. And well, and so, uh, again, that's kind of a, a very tangential tertiary uh, yeah, we'll, view we'll of that, but it just got me, stuff, it yeah. just got me thinking of like, holy shit, why is this so revolutionary? Oh, it's literally because the, since the dawn of cowboy westerns there has been none that don't like that don't uh tokenize or appropriate or 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 just stereotype the native american relationship the 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 black cowboy relationship the asian cowboy relationship Mm. like what is going on and so it kind of expands your perspective a little bit to consider the other possibilities within you know the realm of operations that are currently set in place what is the best purchase you've made under $100 in the past year? Outdoor research down booties. <laughs> that was a true lightning round answer. Dude, I've got those. I got those actually today. We should call it the rolling thunder round because it's like, it's not really lightning. It's kind of like a protracted. Dude, job. I got those today. I've been, uh, so I built out my car recently um, to be, I, I would love to be more mobile next year. And the biggest issue was like habitation. And so I've got, you know, a rooftop tent I'm working. Uh, I got from a local company here, shout out Hutch Tents, um, uh, Hinkley uh, Overland. Those guys are super cool guys. Um, but we were down in Moab. Uh, I ran into you totally just by random. Yeah. And I just remember being so cold. Like I have a zero degree bag. I have down jackets. Yeah. The issue is that I typically take care of my upper body really well. I don't take care of my lower body. I think um, Brendan Leonard, um, a buddy of mine, shout out Brendan, semi-rad, yep. He has like uh, one of his drawings where it's like, you know, upper body, you know, it's got like, you know, base layer and then mid layer and then outer layer and then down jacket and then hat and gloves and all this stuff. And then it's like lower legs, jeans. (laughs) That is exactly how it is for me. Like I maybe have a pair of long johns. And I remember way back when, when I was a guide from my university on like backpacking and climbing trips and all that, the, the, like the, the head guy who ran the adventure club had these down booties. And I'm like, man, that's so like over the top, dude, you're just being dramatic. And I put those things on. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) They're so comfortable. They keep your feet all toasty warm. Like. It was just so funny. And so anyways, I, I got outdoor research down booties. I know I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've turned very soft recently. Well, that's a great answer. I actually, I'm shocked to learn that they're under $100. That's incredible. I think, oh God, I hope Well, so. it's okay if it's around. We can, we can round down. We can round down, bro. Last question. Oh God, last one. The last question before we sign up. Yeah, 89 up. bucks, REI. 89. Boom. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right, All right REI. I see you. I see you. <laughs> After research, love them. You are given a billboard. Okay. 
on a very well populated highway. Okay. What is the message that you put on that billboard for all to see? Yeet the rich. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. I mean, capitalism works for for exactly the people that it is designed to work for. Um, man, maybe not political. Let me think. Dude, probably just ride a bike. Future, future podcast. I actually think that capitalism can work for everybody. That's what future podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably I probably put ride a bike or or yeah, I don't know, run to work or something. I mean, in Salt Lake in the winter, there's the air quality can fluctuate from incredibly breathable, crisp, fresh air to its standard, which is typically smog-ridden, stay inside, don't exercise. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would love to see more bike lanes. I, I got priced out of my apartment in Salt Lake, and I had to move down to Sandy. Love the place, but there's, like, no bike lanes. Um, yeah. And so, like, I'm so used to riding in the city, running in the city, just having a grand old time. I would love to see there be more options for for runners, for cyclists. I know in the in, in, you know in in the Wasatch and the Front Range, we're pretty lucky. You know, you can be downtown drinking beers and then you can be running. Yeah. You know, a nice twenty mile trail loop in what 15, 20 minutes maybe. If that. If that. Um, I, I and it, it toes the line between development of wild areas and keeping things pristine, but. I, I think that there could be maybe a few more painted white lines to protect cyclists and to protect, you know, runners and, and whatnot. And then put like put like more obvious signs for the direction of traffic at Sugarhouse Park. Yeah. I think maybe in the past month I've seen five or six people drive the wrong way on the one way <laughs> in Sugarhouse Park. <laughs> So yeah, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that on a big, oh, a big billboard right outside Sugar House Park. <laughs> well, listen, you are a practitioner in our industry. I mean, you're on the front lines. You're working with brands. You're working with athletes. You're, you're shooting photo. You're shooting video. You're you're thinking about the ways to present our sport in the best ways possible. And I dig it. If you don't come on the podcast again at some point in the future, I'll be sad. Yeah, I will, man. I feel, I feel like I didn't talk about running enough. Um, no, this is, I, dude, this is this is the intro. Like, it's like with Joe Rogan. He has Joey Diaz on the show all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. dude, like you might become our Joey Diaz. Dude, I, 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 I for sure will, man. Maybe talk to me, uh, talk to me mid year next year, and we'll see how many of these things we've put into action. Because I think that at the end of the day, that's that's the litmus test, right? You can talk a big talk, but unless you put things into play it's just going to be talk. And I think, uh, as, as the ultra community grows and expands, I mean, it's already bigger than we thought. I think just people didn't have outlets for their, for their, you know, words. Um, I think more and more stuff like this is going to transpire. And, and, uh, I, I feel like, uh, the ultra scene, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all a bunch of weirdos and I think we can't forget that. Um, and and there's there's community. it's only weird until everyone starts doing it. <laughs> yeah, and there's community in that, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think it's something to be proud of. So. Yeah. Well, dude, you've got a beautiful mind. I love the way you think about our sport. You're definitely coming on the podcast again for sure. Until next time, where can people find you on social? And for anybody in the audience that works for one of these brands that might want to work with your talent, where do they find you, dude? Yeah. So uh, my uh, Instagram is at. M. Lockhart, which is M-L-A-U-C-H-E-R-T. I feel like I have to spell it out every time because it, I always get multiple different 
spellings, but uh, dude, I don't know. Fuck, hit me up. Here's my cell phone number, 716-517-0457. Yeah, let's chat. Let's hang out. Awesome. Well, Mo, thanks again for being on the pod. Until next time. Mo is one of my favorite people. Go give him a shout out on social media if you enjoyed the conversation. I'll leave it at that. As usual, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. It helps to surface the show in relevant search results so that more people can discover it. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, hopefully recovering from this weird sickness by the next time we record, signing off. Thanks for listening. Really, really, really freaking appreciate it. Boom.